Welcome to Forging Plowshares, a community dedicated to cultivating the peaceful kingdom of God. We hope this part of our ongoing conversation stimulates your mind and challenges your heart about what it means to be a follower of Jesus. Please stay tuned at the end of the podcast for a short message about our ministry. I'm going to reference a couple of scriptures here. Ecclesiastes 9.10 Whatever your hand finds to do, do it with all your might, for there is no activity or planning or knowledge or wisdom in the grave where you are going. Ecclesiastes presents death and the grave as the final end and portrays life as lived in this orientation. As he says elsewhere, better a living dog than a dead lion. The counter to this, one of many that we could reference, but if you'll look at Ephesians 2, 14 to 15, and this passage depicts the life of Christ as defeating death and this orientation, I think, that is presented in Ecclesiastes. It's defeating the fear of death as an orientation for life and in doing this, bringing about liberation. Therefore, since the children share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise also partook of the same that through death he might render powerless him who had the power of death, that is, the devil, and might free those who through fear of death were subject to slavery all their lives. There is nothing more personal than death. Death is a failure of personhood, a loss that cannot be abstracted as it happens to concrete persons who can only know of this reality because it happens to me. Death isolates and individuates so that we all die alone. While life and love, these are shared experiences, I think death is just the opposite. Death is a pure negation, a complete absence, a total loss. It is a loss of connectedness, of love, and obviously of life, and the effort and struggle of life. As Ecclesiastes puts it, struggle with all your might now, for the grave ends all possibility of strategizing. Death in small doses, maybe, that we all experience it, well, that's familiar. The moments of shame in life. Maybe they're just small bits of dying. While the total loss that is the shame of death is an undoing and loss beyond comprehension. We cannot think our own dissolution, our own undoing. And so denial of death is not really a conscious choice. It's just an inevitable orientation. But this orientation comes at a price in its reifying and absolutizing of that which is finite and mortal. The transcendent and immortal cannot be accommodated in the immortalization of the mortal. The refusal of this world is a striving toward what we might call the disincarnate. This is dying. 
It is a deception. The dying begins where embodied, incarnate, fleshly living is refused. So as Ecclesiastes says, struggle with all of your life against death. This is dying. So death is not simply a problem at the end of life, but an ending that pervades all of life. This orientation to death, it really marks all of life as a dying. The unconscious struggle to have life. He who would save his life. He who would hold on to life. He who would gain a fullness of life. As an insurance against the grave, he shall lose his life. This is a complete orientation to death. Now this orientation and this dying are against God and his attention for humans. As Wisdom 1.13 puts it, God didn't make death. God takes no delight in the ruin of anything that lives. He created everything so that it might exist. The creative forces at work in the cosmos are life-giving. There is no destructive poison in them. So God permitted death, which means he permitted free will refusal of himself and of life and of love. He permitted sin and death entered in through sin. Now it's not as Romans 5.12 states it in the Latin translation in which we've all received in our English translation. Rather, just as sin entered into the cosmos through one man and death through sin, so also death pervaded all humanity whereupon all sin. So for Adam, the order was sin to death. But for the rest of sinful humanity, which Paul says is not all humanity in 5.14, he says not all have sinned in the manner of Adam. It is ordered from death to sin. So just as sin entered the cosmos through one man and death through sin, death pervaded all humanity and sin followed. As Sergei Bolgakov describes, Death entered the world through the path of sin, which destroyed the stability of human existence, and as it were, separated within man the uncreated from the created. The created, since it did not possess in itself its own power of being, became mortal, having acquired an undue independence from the uncreated, that is, from God. Such he says, is the nature of death. That is, this undue independence. It's a lie. It is the presumption of life where there is death and the presumption of being where there is non-being. And the separation of the created from the uncreated, this is an unreality. It's a lie that we create. Rational creatures, by definition, actualize themselves in this kind of mode of self-determination, of freedom. And somehow that mode can and is in fact misdirected to absurd and absolutely irrational proportions. We create a world of our own that is false. Now there is no dying in the abstract. It's always personal. 
the work of fallen humanity in its pursuit of life through death. You know, this is in all four of the Gospels in Jesus' words. Is countered then by the work of Christ. The work of incarnation counters anti-incarnate or false incarnation, which is the lie of sin. Now it's not as if death has the final word. In Christ, the limitation of the power of death is disclosed. That's the passage in Hebrews, but we could duplicate that passage many times. 2 Timothy 1.10, for example. But now has been revealed by the appearing of our Savior, Jesus Christ, who abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. Isaiah 25.8 He will swallow up death for all time, and the Lord God will wipe away tears from all faces, and he will remove the reproach of his people from all the earth. As Bulgakov describes it, Christ's death reveals the limitation of death. Death is neither absolute nor all-powerful. Rather, it can only tear at and fracture the tree of life. But it is not invincible, for it has already been conquered in the resurrection of Christ. And so to realize the defeat of death in the resurrection of Christ, the death of Christ must become the manner of one's life. He poured out himself canonically. You know, this is the word there in Philippians, kenosis. He took our death upon himself so that the death of humanity is precisely Christ's death. And we must take part in the fullness of this death just as he partook in our death after becoming enfleshed and human. And so death and dying and thus living become his manner of death and life. Now Bulgakov pictures the full realization, and it may be that he has talked about and theologized about death more than any other theologian. But he pictures the full realization of Christ meeting us in death as occurring only in our actual dying. And in his book, Dior and the Wisdom of God, he describes his own battle with cancer and his near-death experience. And this was in Russia. I guess they didn't have a general anesthesia. And they slid open his throat and he actually watched the operation in a mirror and then he went through weeks and weeks, if not months, of agonizing pain with having his throat slit open. And he feels like he's suffocating. And the feeling of complete helplessness that is the experience of dying, he says that's the place Christ meets us. The place that we would refuse out of fear is the place of revelation. He says, to the extent that we know, or rather will know, our own particular death, in it and through it we shall know the death of Christ too. But until we have reached the very threshold of death and have drunk the cup of death, we can only foreknow our death, and in it and through it Christ's death as well. Such foreknowledge is accessible to us and necessary.
for it reveals to us our own as well as Christ's humanity. In its depths and its terrible abyss, in the light of death, it manifests to us our very selves and it manifests to us who God is. And so two things come together. The mystery of God and the uncomprehensible mystery of death are conjoined in the God-man, Jesus Christ. In his humanity there is the dying, but his humanity is completely united with deity. Our dying with him then is not a point of separation, isolation, forsakenness, because he has taken upon himself forsakenness and defeated it. Thus that which defeats and destroys God's good creation, that becomes the point of life, of love, of being joined to God. So the God-man dies in the image of man, and man dies in the image of the God-man, in what Bulgakov calls a marvelous mutuality. This impossibility that God would die in Christ, this point of incomprehension, this becomes the moment of enlightenment, of comprehension, of revelation. Jesus meets us at the edge of the grave. He is there in the dying. And this is the insurance that I think imparts a new form of living. This is salvation. This is atonement. This is expiation and new life. His being poured out, his canonic self-giving, it's organically tied to the problem and the resolution. His incarnation and dying joins him to the dying of all persons. If Christ redeems and raises every person, then it is only because he co-dies in every person and with every person. His being with us in his humanity is that point in which he imparts the uncreatedness of life, of his deity. Now clearly we can speak here of dying only in a completely unique sense. His death is different from every human death. Christ undertakes divinization in his life's journey through death and resurrection and he imparts to all the path he has taken. Divinization comes into its fullness only in the resurrection and is accomplished only by the Father's power through the action of the Holy Spirit. That is, the dying of Christ is Trinitarian. Bulgakov approaches this possibility of the death of the God-man, the possibility of human entry into the divine and the divine entry into the human in his picture of wisdom, Sophia, what he calls Sophiology. In the Psalms, they picture uh, wisdom as consisting both of a created and uncreated aspect. Psalms 8, 22 to 23. The Lord created me, talking about wisdom, as his first course before his works of old. From everlasting I was established, from the beginning before the earth began. And so wisdom here, in both of its forms, created and uncreated, he connects to the wisdom embodied in Christ. 
The humanity of Christ is created Sophia, created wisdom, permeated by divine Sophia, created Sophia as the human nature of Christ, admitted of further wisdom, of further divinization, which is exactly what was accomplished through the resurrection of Christ. Quoting Bulgakov here, the latter is the fullness of divinization, the wisdom of created Sophia in Christ. Its full penetration by divine Sophia is perfected in divine humanity. And so the course of Christ's life bringing about the fullness of the divine wisdom in his life, this really contains the order, the course of the entire universe, bringing the union of eternity and time, the fullness of becoming, the unfolding of God in creation. Theoretically or abstractly, deity and humanity, time and eternity, God and death, these really cannot be joined. But what seem to be opposites, theoretically, are concretely brought together in the person of Christ. That is, the theoretically seemingly impossible is made possible in Christ. That is, the kenosis of Christ is a possibility only for divinity. But it is temporary, and it is a death like no other. And Bulgakov admits that this decaying condition of being turned over to the grave, it is an impossibility in the death of the God-man. He is susceptible to die, but not to this decay. Nevertheless, this dying, while not representing the genuine death of decay, is still that condition of death of the Lord resting in the grave. That is, he dies. He truly dies. The God-man fully experiences death. As Luther put it, God died on the cross. He is not handed over, though, to the power of death. His divine humanity enters into the fullness and power of glory precisely through dying. And so the manner of his death is not being left in a state of death. He defeats death. And this is the canonic dying of Christ. Only God could die in this way. It's temporary and transitory. It's the path to resurrection. But kenosis is not mortal existence. In the depths of kenosis, there is a weakening, as it were, of divinity. God subjects himself to human weakness. But only until the end of kenosis, the pouring out of death, when this weakness is overcome, such is the imminent dialectic of kenosis in divine humanity. In its kenosis, it is capable of dying. But the death of the God-man can only be a victory over death, having trampled death by death. And so in the divine Sophia, the fullness of the humanity and deity of Christ, including the death of Christ and glorification at the right hand of God, they exist in one person but are the constitutive aspects of the full deity and humanity of this person. That is, he is fully human, he is fully divine, and this is who he is. Sophia explains how he can be both. In the divine abandonment of Christ, 
the divine Sophia becomes, as it were, inactive in him. What remains in full force is only the human nature created Sophia, although in a state of suffering and mortal frailty. Now what Bulgakov is describing here, he refers, yes, I'm talking about the economic trinity. That is, that God is never truly divided within himself. But in this instance, there is the seeming division. Jesus Christ is fully God and fully human, both divine and human. And so there is this possibility of death, of restoration, of salvation. And we meet God here. We meet the Trinity. The fullness of the Trinity is involved in the dying, the self-giving, the kenotic giving of the Son. The Father sends the Son, and this sending is an act of fatherly sacrificial love, the kenosis of the Father. The feet of the Son is also the self-denying love of the Father, who in sending the Son condemns his very self to co-suffering and co-crucifixion, though in a manner different than the Son. The Father and the Son and he includes the Holy Spirit. They all possess one life, one joy, and suffering, though in a different manner. The Father does not remove himself from the suffering of the Son. They suffer together. And the Son accomplishes the will of the Father, and this unity of will and of mutual knowledge, that is in Matthew eleven twenty-seven. No one knoweth the Son but the Father, neither doth anyone know the Father but the Son. This testifies to the unity of life and the unity of suffering in their common, although distinct, kenosis of love. And so the person of Jesus Christ involves the fullness of the Trinity in his dying, in his being raised, in his being glorified. The love of the Father through the Spirit in the life of the Son is unbroken and there can be no room for any sort of mutual abandonment. But economically, in the relationship of God to world, as creator to creation, there occurs, as it were, a division of the hypostasis, the very union of the Holy Spirit. In abandoning the Son, the Holy Spirit ceases, as it were, to unite the Son with the Father. And so the Spirit blows where it will, John 3, 2. Momentarily and manifestly, economically, maybe we could say, the Spirit stops blowing on the Son. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? But this death of the Son is experienced by the Trinity. The Father co-dies. The Holy Spirit co-dies. And of course what that means, we meet God in our own dying. He is there as they are there in the union of his death. So the movement of salvation in Christ is not an, an event removed from who God is. This is who God is. It is bound up with the Trinitarian reality. The revelation exposing the fiction of a life oriented to death, the life-giving revelation simultaneously is a revelation of God. This is how we know who God is in Father and Son and Holy Spirit. 
The one does not exist apart from the other. And in our dying with Christ, we experience the Trinitarian communion of knowing God and knowing ourselves completely. Forging Plowshares is a community dedicated to cultivating the peaceful kingdom by providing in-depth, transformative biblical and theological education and discipleship. If you have found this podcast valuable, please remember to share on social media. If you have questions about what you've heard, or if you'd like to learn more about how you can get involved with Forging Plowshares or even support this ministry financially, please visit our website, forgingplowshares.org. 